0: So, this is our wrap up. I was originally of Colossians. I was originally set to do a different kind of a wrap up and to do the big chapter four class at Jersey Village this morning. And because we got the added benefit last week of having uh, uh, Professor McIntosh, Dr. McIntosh, here. And my wife told me afterwards, she said, Mark, you never gave us a chance to applaud him. And um, he's not here this morning. So, I blew that. But if he'd been here this morning, we would have given him some applause. Such a kind and gentle and magnificent soul. And I can't underscore enough, you truly had a chance to listen to one of the top scholars of Hebrew study in the last 50 years. He's an amazing man. There's a reason he was the dean at Cambridge as well as as being a a professor of Hebrew. So I'm thankful for that, but it does mean that I had originally planned I'm doing more of Colossians 4 at the Jersey Village campus this morning, and a bunch of you have asked me, would you please consider expanding a bit more on Colossians 4 in here this morning? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Colossians 4 and finish our church-wide study in Colossians. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 4 in a little bit more detail this morning, and I want to start out with this simple question, how do you pray? How do you pray? Paul says the following to the Colossians. Colossians 4, chapter 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Now, I want you to try to make sense of this. We're going to dig this apart. But I want you to just, on your own, see what sense you make of this passage before we dig it apart. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door. Ah, there we go. A door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now, I look at that, and I will admit I'm a Bible nerd, so I look at it as a Bible nerd, but I try real hard to look at it as a non-Bible nerd, just as a nerd. (laughs) And i got to tell you, there's some stuff in there that just doesn't sound like normal speech. When was the last time you told anybody, I continue steadfastly in anything? I mean, just continuing steadfastly is not typically in our vocabulary. How about being watchful in it? Seems a bit unusual, being watchful in prayer? I thought I was supposed to have my eyes closed. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving, at the same time, pray also for us, dot, 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 we will continue. But let's just segregate out verse 2 for a moment. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, I've got some benefits you don't have, unless uh, it's, it's some of you will have it. But I got the benefit of reading this in the Greek. So what I want to do is try and share with you some of what you would get if you were reading this and studying it in the Greek. And I'll tell you the first thing you would notice is if you were reading Colossians 4.2 in the Greek, it doesn't start with continue steadfastly. That's not the first thing you've got. The first thing you've got in the Greek is in prayer. Because Greek emphasized things differently than we do in English. In English we have a wealth of ways to emphasize something. We can emphasize it by writing it bold font. We can emphasize it by writing it in italics. We have exclamation marks we can put, one of which means emphasis, three of which means emphasis, and you're under the age of 25. (laughs) If you're under the age of 22, you can emphasize something with a brand new language. Hashtag get with it. Retweet. We have all sorts of different ways to emphasize things. The Greeks had their own ways. They had a where they wouldn't use an, an article or a conjunctive word or a disjunctive word. They, they had a, 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 no need to get into that. That's not what we're doing today. But one of the main ways that Greek would emphasize something is by word order in the sentence. Because every Greek word almost... Where's a sign, either at the front or at the back, that tells you what part of the sentence it is? The sign can say, I'm a subject. And if it says, I'm a subject, you know it's the subject. Hank is the subject. Hank is on the front row. Okay? Hank is the subject of that sentence. He is on the front row. In English, the subject is determined generally by where it is in the sentence. Not so in Greek. In Greek, it just wears a sign that says, I'm a subject. So you can stick Hank at the end of the sentence. You can say the front row is Hank. In Miss Caroline, do not laugh at your husband like that. Oh, my lands. You can say the front row is Hank. And if you're reading it in Greek, you know that Hank is the subject. So word order isn't dictating the meaning like it does in English. So the Greek word order here is in prayer because Paul is emphasizing prayer. That's the subject. He wants that underlined. He wants that bolded. He wants that with some exclamation marks or a hashtag or a retweet. He wants you to know that the emphasis here is in prayer. And then he has this word that's translated continue steadfastly. So in prayer, pay attention. In prayer, he says... Continue steadfastly. Here's the word that's translated that way. Proskarterite. I know what you're thinking. I already knew that. Okay, you may have, but for those who don't, let's explore that word for a minute. Paul says, in prayer, and that, I mean, truly, the Greek says, in prayer, proskarterite. Terete. Terite. I pronounce Greek with a lubbock accent. Um, Paul's saying in prayer, continue steadfastly. Now you're saying, I just really don't know what that means. Good. Let's take the word apart a little bit and look at it. How about if instead I say that word means to have it close at hand? Have it handy. Have it right there, ready and available. I can tell you it's the same word in Matthew 3, 9. Matthew 3, 9 is a marvelous passage to explain what this word means. In Matthew 3, it starts out this section with a great cloud. Cloud? Crowd. (laughs) A great cloud was following Jesus. A great crowd follows Jesus. This is a little, does that look kind of yellowish to y'all? That looks kind of yellowish to me. Well, that got rid of the yellow and the black. (laughs) See what we can do here. There we go. That's a little, I'm not sure that's any better. But we're going to live with it. So Jesus withdraws with his disciples to the sea. But a great crowd follows them. So they've got this crowd coming with them. From Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and everywhere. I mean, he's Mr. Popular at this point. He's healing people. Just heal the guy with a withered hand. Everybody wants him. The great crowd heard all that he was doing. They came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd. Do you see that passage there? Have the boat ready for him. The same word translated, "continues steadfastly. It's ready. It's handy. It's right there at hand. So if we go back to the PowerPoint, when we see this, when you see that Paul says, in prayer, have it close at hand. Have it right there. Have it in prayer. Don't, don't make prayer something you just do before meals. Don't make prayer something you just do before you go to sleep. Don't make prayer something you just do on Sunday morning. Have it right there. Have it handy. Have it use it, use it, use it. it. This same word. Pros is also translated, devote yourself to it. You know, it's something that you're dedicated to. It's something that's right at hand, that that you're really working at. You can see this in Acts 2.42. It's a passage that's pretty familiar to a lot of people. But it's the church has just started. It's the first day of the church. 2,000 people have been baptized into the church. And and Acts 2.42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship communion lord's supper and prayers they devoted themselves it's the same word proskatarate it is that this is what they were dedicated to this is what they were doing and so we've got this idea of devoting yourself to prayer having it right at hand having it right there or continue steadfastly now i want you to know one more thing if we go back to the powerpoint This have close at hand, devote yourself to. I told you that these Greek words were signs that tell you how they function in the language. I want to tell you the, the sign that's being worn by this verb. Have close at hand, continue steadfastly. It is what we would call a second person plural present imperative yes Ellen I know our English teacher over here you've got to understand this is like her dream come true for me to even utter those words in Sunday school <laughs> second person plural look she's just all buzz it's like she had one too many donuts or something over there it's pretty funny the second person plural first person I first person singular you Mark Wookie. Third person, he, she, or it, singular. First person plural, we. Second person plural, y'all. See, they don't have that in a lot of societies that speak English. We in the South have a second person plural. It's y'all. It's not to be confused with you. You is singular. Y'all is plural. This is y'all. Paul says this applies to all y'all. Yeah, yeah. if you're from Yankee land, it's you guys. Hey, you guys, okay? Yeah, you guys. But for us, it's y'all. It's everybody. This isn't for the Holy Joes and Josephinas. This is for us all. I can click it down the row and say it for each one of us. Have your prayers right there at hand. In prayer, you need it handy. You need to devote yourself to it. And it is not only that, but it is a present tense, which means it's something that you are to be having each moment of the day. All day long. It's always the present It's never manana. It's not. My kids, at least out of five kids that Becky and I have, I'll guarantee you three of them. Yeah, they're waving. Sarah and Rebecca are here for spring break and they want you all to know it. (laughs) I'm sure, I am sure that at least three of them, Becky probably can tell you which three or, or my mom probably could, have always tried on us. Hey kids, we need you this week. We we need you to do this and this. I'll do it tomorrow, thinking we'll never catch on to the fact. The next day, hey, I said tomorrow. It's not tomorrow. Paul avoids that here. He uses the present tense. He wants you to know right now, right now, right now. The constant, every second, twenty-four-seven, three hundred and sixty-five days a year, except leap year. Then it's 366. And then he puts it in the imperative form. It's wearing a label that says imperative. The imperative means he's instructing us. He's not suggesting. He's not asking. He's not Talking about what a lot of people do. He's telling us it's imperative. This is something he's telling us to do. So I think it's marvelous for us to look at this passage in prayer have it right at hand, all of you, everybody. Have your prayer right there. Devote yourself to it. And then he adds this interesting little concept here. He says, being watchful in it. Being watchful? I mean, is he telling them to pray with their eyes open? No, that's not what he means. I mean, I'm not, God, oh, I'm not going to listen to that prayer. He opened his eyes. You know, that's another one with our kids. You remember when your kids went through the stage of one ratting out the other one for having their eyes open in the prayer? And you're like, uh, if you saw them with their eyes open, you realize what you've just said. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, great theology in the Lanier house. And, um, this word preguntes preguntes is, is the word that's translated being watchful preguntes means a, a, a wealth of things There's a, some, it, when you're translating especially from Greek or Hebrew into English it's really not considered academically sound to say this word means this. Because it's not a one-to-one crossover. It's, there's a semantic range. This word has a range of meanings in our English. And we need to try and grasp that range to get a feel for what Paul was trying to say. So if we look at the semantic range, one sense of this is being alert. So get a load of this now. We're going to look at what it means. But Paul's going to say to be alert in your prayers. To be alert as you pray as well as in your prayers. So a good place to see this is in Matthew 25, 13. It's the same word, but it gives you a good feel for the semantic range of this word. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the parable... Of the, the ten virgins. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. Who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were foolish. Uh, I, I should have brought. And I didn't. A sample. But I think it's useful for us to make sure we understand. If, if a person. Is holding their hand out. In that person's hand. Would fit. What we will call. A lamp. Oops, sorry. Now this has a big hole in the top, and in that big hole you pour oil, and the oil you carry around in a little jug with a little cork or some kind of a stopper in it, and that is often, um, let's see, E V O O is extra virgin olive oil, right? Okay, well this, they didn't use extra virgin for this. This is like refuse olive oil. So we're going to call this R-O-O. It's like the last run of the olive oil. It's not the stuff you'd really want to taste. But that's a typical oil that they would use. So this lamp would fit in your hand, generally. A Herodian lamp would. And it would have a, a, you'd carry with you some flax or some type of a wick, something that would work as a wick that would also fit into the bottom of the lamp. When you were ready to light it, you would decide how much of the wick you want to stick out, how much of a flame do you want. The more it sticks out, the brighter the flame, but the faster you use the oil. And so determining how much of the wick is going to stick out is called trimming the lamp. Whoops, you got it? Okay, Uh, so now you've got all the technology to understand this story a little bit better. So, they took their lamps, they went to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take any oil with them. See, they took the lamp, but they didn't take the oil. You, you say, well, why didn't they just fill it up before they left? You walk around and you slosh it out. You need to keep the oil in something that's got a stopper in it. The lamp can go in your purse or backpack or whatever. You know, in a, in a, they, they would often carry things in, in a wrap around. So you, you, you don't have an ability to keep the oil in the lamp. So they packed the lamp, but they didn't pack any oil. The wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy. They start napping. At midnight, there's a cry, Hey, the bridegroom's here. It's time to party. Come out to meet him. So all the virgins rose, they trimmed their lamps. They got the wick, they put the wick in there, they decided how much of it to stick out, etc., etc. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Might have been some residual oil in the, the wick, but it's not soaking up the oil. They don't have any oil. The wise said, hey, There won't be enough for us. It's got to last the whole party. So you go to the dealers and buy some. While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in with him to the the party, the marriage feast. The door shut. Afterward, the other virgins come and they said, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. And he answered, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. You don't give me enough respect to be here? I'm not, we're not stopping the party to let all of you guys in right now. Jesus said, Watch therefore, because you don't know the day or the hour. Watch. It's the same word. Be alert. Be awake. Pay attention. See? Be alert. So we go back to the PowerPoint. That same idea. Pray Be alert. In prayer. In prayer. That's what he's talking about here. He puts it first, front and center. In prayer. Have it right there at hand. You just continue in it all the time. Immediately. All of you. You need to be praying. You need to be praying. You need to be praying. But when you're praying, you need to be watchful. You need to be alert. You need to be awake. There's another passage, if you're making notes, Mark thirteen thirty four is a good one that gives you an illustration of the awake. Um, I'm not going to, to turn to it right now in the interest of time. But you, you, need, you need, in your prayers, you need to be conscious. Prayer is not simply repeating a vain phrase. Even if it's the Lord's prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses or deaths. As we forgive those who trespass against us are our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And do we add, for that is the kingdom and the power of glory forever and ever. Amen or not? Who knows? We've got to pay attention and see what everybody else is saying. (laughs) That's the way some people think through the Lord's Prayer. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Pray all the time. But in your prayers, you need to be awake. You need to be conscious. You need to be alert. You need to be aware of what's going on and what you're doing. This isn't a ritual. This isn't a magic potion. This isn't some mantra that you're repeating to get unconscious or conscious. So you need to be alert. You need to be prayerful. You need to be alert in your prayer. In it. This preguntes is in it. You're alert in it. You're awake in it. And you're doing it with thanks. Giving. So in your prayers, you need to be, always have them there, always have them at hand, always ready to go. Just continue in them all the time. It's constant. It's deliberate. But you need to do it consciously and aware of what you're saying. And you need to do it with thanksgiving. Being thankful in it. The way the Greek is written, it's in Eucharistia. Um, it, it is... It is a, a parallel to, to in Preguntes, uh, it's, it's, um, it's the same structure. So as he says, be watchful in it, he's also saying with thanksgiving. In it with thanksgiving as well, I guess is the best way I can put that. Or, or with thankfulness. Put thankfulness in there. Do you remember when we were talking about, for those of you who are in here for the series Defending Paul, and I talked about how Tertullus, the lawyer, came to present before the governor Felix against Paul when he was trying to get Paul in trouble with uh, and get him killed for being a rabble rouser? Tertullus, the governor, I mean, Tertullus, the lawyer, to the governor started out his speech in Acts 24. And he says, oh, what an honor it is to get to speak to you because... He's buttering up the judge. Because uh, you're such a great, great guy, man. You've just done wonders for us. And, and we are thankful for all you've done. That's what this Eucharistia means. We get the word Eucharist from it. The Lord's Supper, a time of thanksgiving. But, but this is what we're to do. So we're to pray. Brent quoted from Paul in a different writing. In the letter to Philippians, when he was up here making the announcements, where Paul said, um, uh, uh, you know, to, to pray with thanksgiving. It was a typical part of what Paul said. Our prayers need to have thanks in them to God. And some of the reason why is because of not just how we pray, but what we're praying. So this is the transition for Paul from how we pray into what we pray. Let's transition with him. And I'll do it with a personalized question. What do you pray for? What are the kinds of things that you pray for? How is your prayer life directed? we got a fellow in our class who's had some health issues. He's been in the, the hospital and, and all. I was, his daughter came up to me after class last Sunday, told me about it. We stopped and we prayed for him. Been praying for him this week. He's here today, praise God said to me, thank you for your prayers. And what he, he's not thanking me for doing anything. I didn't do anything except pray for him. The Lord did it. But he appreciated the fact that we would seek out God on his behalf. And that's a huge honor for you and me. It's a huge honor in a couple of different directions. It's a huge honor that someone would entrust us with a glimpse into their life and their needs such that we could pray for them. Because we live in a, a society that doesn't open up so readily sometimes. At least not in personal and intimate ways. So it's a blessing to me that way. But it's a blessing to me that God Almighty would listen to the prayers. And urge us to pray. So Paul says that he's praying for the Musterion. Mysterion have any idea what that word might mean? Mystery we get the word mystery straight from it here 's the passage Paul says, verse three at the same time you're cont- in prayer, you do it constantly, you do it watchfully, you do it with thankfulness, and at the same time, would you also pray for us that God might open to us, a door for the world, for the word, to declare the mysterion, the mystery of Christ. This mysterion, mysterion is not like, a, and there, there are different Greek ideas behind the word mystery. And, and this is a Greek word that's talking about it in the sense of a secret that has become known. It's not something you can't ever discern. It's not an unknowable mystery. It is a secret that some know, but others don't, if that makes sense. You, there's, there's another Greek word and concept for, for a mystery that, that's, hey, it's a mystery. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's just mysterious. That's not what this is. This is a mystery, a secret. It's something some people know, but others don't. It's something that is knowable. It's just not known by all. And to those who don't know it, it is a mystery. To those who do know it, it's a mystery we know. But don't think of it as something that's unknowable. Paul's not saying here, the, some mysterious unknowable, not at all. He's talking about something that some knew, others didn't. And he wants an open door to be able to tell others about the mystery. So that the secret is revealed. You track with me? Okay, so here it is. And, and, and you want a good example of that secret is used in Matthew 23, 11 in this way. And so we can look at it there. Matthew 13, 11. I started to say, I'm looking at twenty three eleven and I don't see the word. <laughs> oh. The purpose of parables. Jesus has been telling parables, and people don't understand them. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus says, To you, Jesus answered him, To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. You see? And at that point in time, he was explaining it to his apostles. At that point in his disciples. At that point in time, he was not explaining it to others. But the secret, it, it, it wasn't, the mystery, it's translated here secret, isn't something unknowable. It's something that needs to be revealed and then it is known. I might have a secret, but once I tell you, you're in on the secret. It's something knowable. Y'all got it? So now if we go back to the text and the PowerPoint. Pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. I want to give you a couple more scriptures to understand this and then we're going to also do a little drawing that I think may help. But Paul has used the word mystery twice in chapter 1 of Colossians and he's used it in chapter 2 in the same vein as that chapter 1. So when Paul uses it here... The Colossians who are reading the letter in one sitting understand what Paul's talking about because it's a word, the secret he's talking about. He's talked about this secret three other times in the letter. The secret is all right, this is this is an illustration I just used that, that turned. It may be a terrible illustration. I've never used it before. <laughs> And I may get some emails from people who tell me I've just done something horrible theologically. But right now, I kind of like it. So I'm going to use it again. Okay? There is a mystery. The mystery is this. God, the moral God, you can think of God's morality like a straight pipe. You with me God is god 's morality that 's god 's ethics that 's his moral compass that 's his um, his character, his right and wrong, his truth, not lies and you and I were made to live inside him the straight pipe. The problem is morally we 're Bent your pipe doesn't fit in his because that is your moral pipe. Your moral pipe is a bent pipe. You're not honest as you should be. you've got selfishness. you don't have the right priorities. You're a bent pipe. Now you may be saying Lanier pretty harsh. Well, I got to tell you. That may be you a bent pipe. Me? I'm not just a bent pipe. I'm bent, twisted. I mean, I'm like I'm like I'm like this whole another creature, man. I'm so far gone. Some of this I learned in law school. Others I no, I'm Not all lawyers are bent. Um actually all humans are. So this is me. I'm so bent, I'm hard to tell. I'm giving you the, a break. I'm calling y'all holy. but we're on, none of us are going to fit in God's pipe. How are we, bunch of morally bent pipes going to live in a straight pipe God's presence? that's the secret. That's the mystery. Oh, God had been laying down hints about this throughout the Old Testament. We were studying in here about where you find those Jesus comments in the Old Testament. But it's been a mystery of how it's going to happen. The way it's going to happen is God's just going to basically come in here and God's going to say, "Eh, I can't straighten you out. So I'm just going to put you to death. (laughs) We're just going to kill that. And you, as a conscious being, will have it killed by the cross of Christ. And then from Christ, you'll be resurrected and you'll get born again from above. You'll get born anew and you'll be born straight so that you can fit in the pipe. And all of that crud you carry around, that's the old Jew that's now dead. That's, 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 that's around, look at that, don't let that drag you down. That's not you anymore. And when sometimes your pipe seems to get a little bent, you just remember that any bending is part of the old you that Jesus put to death on the cross. That the new creation is not the bent part. The part that's going to last for eternity is not the bent part. That's why Paul says, spend your time and energy working on the stuff that's going to last. Why do you want to spend your time and energy working on things for the old bent pipe that's just going to get burned up. This is what's going to last. That's the mystery. The mystery is how did God make us where we can live with Him again? How did God get rid of our bentness? That's the mystery. That's why Paul uses the word in Colossians the way he does. If you go back and look at Colossians 1, you see those other examples, 26 and 27. Look what he says. He says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, after the death of Christ, He comes into you and I, and He's as straight as it's ever going to be. Straighter than a string. Straighter than an arrow. You have the straightness of Christ. And the straightness of Christ slides straight into the presence of God with no problem at all. Your righteousness is not your own, it's the righteousness of Jesus. Paul says in Galatians 2:20, I've been crucified with Christ. I still live, but it's Christ living in me. And the life I live by live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God. This is who you are. And you slide right into the presence of God. And that's the mystery. That's what Paul says as he continues that vein of thought in Colossians 2 says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea and those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, that they can be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's the mystery. That's, you want it, you want, can, can I tell you a secret? I'll tell you a secret. I'll tell you the secret is this. In Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven of everything you have ever done, will do, or will think about doing. He not only solves the problem of the sins you've committed, but He solves the problem of the sins of the heart. The sins of the mind. And He makes you new. And Paul is praying for an open door. If we go back to the PowerPoint, he wants that door to be open. Now you may be saying, well, of course, that's God's will. You don't have to pray for that. Wrong. That's what we do pray for. It is our job to pray that we will know and do God's will. Make sense? Here's what I'd like to do. Um, I'd like to, I, I, I don't know, we'll, we'll see. I, I, since we're not doing these as written lessons that I have been doing handouts on. By the way, many of you have been praying for my Torah devotional that I'm writing. Thank you. Please don't stop praying. I have seven to do today. Um, uh, but I'm getting there. I'm going to get there by the grace of God through your prayers. But I want I, to, there's, there's some more rich material in here that I want to dig through with you guys. Because it's, it's just fundamental. And so I don't know when we'll pick this up again. But you don't have the benefit of being able to go home and read the written lesson. So we're going to have to find time because, frankly, I'm only about halfway through everything I wanted to tell you today. So with that, we're out of time. But can I bless you in the name of Jesus before we go? Father, with prayer at hand, we are thoughtfully praying to you. With thanksgiving that you would hear our prayers. With thanksgiving, that you would align our prayers with your will. And with thanksgiving, in full assurance that as we pray your will, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I ask you, according to your will, to bless everyone who's hearing this message. Father, there are people listening whose hearts are hard would you soften their hearts there are people listening who are worried would you bring their faith to a place to trump that worry there are people listening who are hurting would you spread your balm on their pain and give them comfort there are people listening who are lost May they find you, Father. There are people listening who are bored. Give them real life. Fill their cup overflowing. We bring you all of our needs in trust that they're all answered through your love in Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys.